1: Report from the front lines of the war on terror in Paris. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you're a terrorist therapist. Today we're going to be talking about the war on terror on the front lines in Paris. Yes, you heard that right. Not in the Middle East, um, in Paris. I was an American in Paris this past week. And I have a lot to tell you about it because uh, what we hear in the American media is not, well, surprise, surprise, it's not the truth, Um, fake news in a different sense. We are not hearing just how bad things are in Europe. And why is that? Because those people who would try to stop uh, President Trump's efforts to protect America from terrorism through immigration um don't want to hear about these things don't want us to know about these things because europe is being overridden by terrorists and um and not only that but it is having not it's not only having an impact in terms of the attacks and we hear about some of those and it's usually in the news for um, a very brief moment, but it's having other effects as well in terms of money that's being lost be, and so on. So right now in the US where you know, there are politicians and media uh, who are trying to thwart Trump's immigration plans, I mean, yes, except for the Supreme Court, who finally, finally okayed the travel ban. I would love to know, this is probably never going to be known, but I would love to know how many terrorists got into America while all these different judges in the lower courts were going against the previous travel bans that had been presented to them. In any case, um, right now, past, besides that, there's the brouhaha about immigrants at the Mexican border. The whole issue of separating children from their parents and all of that. Well, of course it's not a good idea to separate children from their parents. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you don't really have to be a psychiatrist to recognize that there are psychological um, scars that are left on children from separations, um, you know, typically it's not being separated at the border, but there are various other things in life that come along that cause separations and usually not this extreme, but um, but yes, of course, children in those, these kinds of conditions can develop separation anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety, depression, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, if They were in a situation where they feared for their life when they were separated uh, and so on. So, okay, but the issue isn't really whether children should be separated from their parents. They, the parents shouldn't be allowed in altogether. And this whole idea of, you know, seeking asylum, being uh, housed uh, until they are allowed to go to court to seek asylum, I mean, asylum. is a quaint idea, uh, a good idea back in the day. Um, You know, we would like to believe that we are a country that will offer asylum. But the problem is that the world has changed. And there are so many countries, I mean, in a sense, almost the whole world needs asylum. There are so many countries where there is violence, whether it's due to terrorism or due to Uh, poverty or due to gangs there are you know yes there really are people who are living in some horrible parts of some horrible countries and it would be nice to be able to welcome them all and to feed them all and to take care of them and get them out of harm's way but things are different in 2018 we can't take in all the people who in the past would have merited this idea called asylum, I mean even just looking at South America, yes, it is true that there are a number of countries and a number of people who are affected by the gang violence and you know drug lord violence and all of that in these countries in some of the countries in some of the towns, but we can't take them all into the United States, not to mention Syria, you know um, who is for the most part the refugees are, are uh, storming Europe, but um, it's, it's, that's not the way to fix the problem anymore. It's just not possible. And um, we need to come up with a better solution, which clearly is to help these countries and help the problems in these countries where the people are rather than them fleeing to try to come into the United States. Now, yes, if anybody who is listening to this podcast who is from the United States, you need to um, count your blessings. We are blessed to live here. And many of us had parents or grandparents who were accepted into the United States as immigrants, if not in terms of asylum, but, but at least as immigrants. And certainly I am one of them. My grandparents came here from Russia and Austria and Poland. And they weren't, they weren't asking for asylum, but, you know, it was a time back in the day when they were allowed in. So, and I am, a, you know, incredibly appreciative for that uh, and, and incredibly sensitive to people who are on the other side of this and asking for help. But we need to come up with another solution. Now, I was starting to say that um, I was going to tell you about Paris, and I will, but I want to um, before that tell explain to you the the premise for this um, European terrorism is at this t- as of today you know worse than uh, in terms of being invaded by terrorists is worse than uh certainly than america and it is the prodrome it is the for it's it's the warning signal um, of what could happen to america now. Um, there are, the, it is the European journalists who are telling it like it is. For example, um, there is an Italian journalist and author who is the cultural editor of Il Faglio, uh which has written an article about European terrorism and he talks about the Batman syndrome. Um, the Batman syndrome was actually written about Uh, by Coser magazine, a magazine from France. And it is where the hero, Batman, refuses to kill. He he systematically saves the enemy who escapes and then kills new victims until the hero catches up with him again and so on. So um, the Europe, I was saying before that there are other uh, effects besides besides some the attacks, some of which we are told about in the U.S. For example, the European U- Union lost $210 billion due to terrorism uh, between 2004 and 2016. $210 billion. The United Kingdom and France suffered the most. The United Kingdom lost... Uh, 43.7 billion euros, which is more than $43.7 billion. Dollars. Um, the euro when I was there last week was um, about $1.33. 3 um, and then France what, lost 43 billion euros, so over $43 billion. Dollars. And um, then came Spain and then came Germany. So you know, we know um, that people have been affected physically by terrorism, psychologically, of course, by terrorism, and um, they have also been affected in terms of their economic behavior. Now, um, it's it's increased. The amount of people in companies that are uh, psychologically affected, which affects their economic behavior. Now this is in addition, of course, to the money that has been spent on giving social services to the uh, Immigrants, including terrorists who have come to Europe. So um, it is a drain. It is uh, exhausting Europe in more ways than psychological and physical and uh, economic and i I will come back and tell you more about this and specifically tell you about my experiences in paris and kind of the ambivalent or different ways that we see uh that times are are have changed now than when i lived in paris um some years back i lived there for three years and um i love paris i still love paris and I believe me, I am not, uh, in today's podcast, I am in no way telling you not to go to Paris. In fact, I am telling you to go sooner rather than later while things are still uh, at this stage and terrorism, uh, because terrorism is only going to be getting worse. So go now, not just in Paris, but in Europe is going to get worse. So I suggest you go now. It was beautiful. I had a wonderful time. I will tell you about it when we come back.
0: You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned, and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol.
1: Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show. For the break, and today we were talking about the terrorist invasion of Europe— and, um, and particularly, I'm gonna be telling you about my having just returned from Paris. I, w- I went to Paris um, because my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, won the Paris Book Festival Award. So I was invited for the ceremony. And um, I then spent the subsequent days, I was there for a week, and I spent the subsequent days having lots of interesting experiences and talking to lots of people, uh, lots of French people, about terrorism, and um, in various ways. And donating my book to various places. And just to frame this again, um, the there have been 658 Europeans murdered in terror attacks on European soil and 1029 Europeans killed by terrorists abroad. Half of the French army has been deployed within the French Republic to protect civilian targets such as schools, monuments and religious sites and I saw some of that. And um, European armies are being exhausted by patrolling the streets And uh, NATO planners have said that they fear that European armies may get better at guarding railway stations and airports than fighting wars. Uh, This is, there's a great quote from an officer who recently returned from Afghanistan for guard duty in Belgium. And he said, we are standing around like flower pots, just waiting to be smashed. So um, let me tell you now, about some of the, my experiences in Paris. Um, first of all, the first I guess the first thing I saw was that when I landed in uh, Charles de Gaulle Airport, there weren't really many police, unless they were you know it's possible that they were undercover. But there weren't many um, police in the airport itself that were who were dressed at least in police or official kinds of uniforms. But when I walked out of the airport, well, it was still in the airport. When I walked out the door, where you go then into the room, the big room to collect your your, um, luggage, there was a bunch of police, maybe like, oh, 12 or 15 of them, all standing in a group, (laughs) just standing around in a group. And um, I commented on that, (laughs) about why were they standing there, first of all, which was just near the exit. I mean, you know, you know how um, when you when you go to the luggage racks, uh, you are there, right? Right there are the doors to the street. Now, I guess you could say maybe they were there to make sure no terrorists came in through the street uh, that way. You know, rather than the main entrances where you would go in if you were going to be flying out of Paris. Uh, but they were all kind of clustered <laughs> safely in the background um you know not at the doors anyhow be that as it may i must tell you that i was not really frightened at any time in paris um, except a little bit when i went to the batik lawn and that's a, a story in itself um, again i am not saying that you shouldn't go there in fact uh in fact it was, I, I, had to, I had to try very hard to get in because the uh, the uh, event that was happening during the week that I was there was this concert by a man named Matoub, who was an Algerian. And he um, actually, there's an interesting, he was a good guy, and he was killed um, he was fighting for democracy in Algeria, and the government didn't quite like that. And so they claimed that it was terrorists who killed him, when actually it was the government. Of course, I have that on good, <laughs> on good, uh, what? good, good advice, good, from a good source. Um, in any case, he, there was this concert honoring him, a tribute to him, and it was sold out. And I wanted desperately to uh, experience what it felt like to be in the Bataclan. Now, for those of you who don't remember what the Bataclan is, um, it is a theater in Paris in the 11th arrondissement on Boulevard Voltaire, which was stormed in November 2015 by the terrorists, a group of terrorists in the worst terrorist attack on Paris. Um, and that was, you know, along with some restaurants and the Stade of Paris and so on, Stade de France and so on. And so I wanted to feel what it would, what it it felt like to be there. And, um, the concert was amazing. Let me start by talking about that. Um, this, you know, so it was, it was a very rousing, and first of all, the people who came were, you know, loved this man, loved Matoub and loved what he stood for, um, and felt that the government had betrayed them by trying to say that it was the terrorists. However, the terrorists actually in Algeria had been, um, didn't like him and had been kind of doing things, you know, who had been on his back, shall we say, but in the end, um, they weren't the ones who killed him. So, um, it's a theater, it's a beautiful theater and it, um, seats 1500 or, or, it, it, the maximum capacity is 1,500, but I must say that um, it is a very, it is a very, you would think that it would be a bigger theater um, with a capacity of 1,500. The seats are very tiny and the rows are very squished together. And um, and why I'm mentioning this is because when the terrorists the clearly uh, picked this out as a ta- targeted this because it was like shooting fish in a barrel. Um, because everyone was so squished together, they could not miss. And there's only one main entrance to the Bataclan, which is where the terrorists came in. And um, and uh, when you're sitting inside, even today, till today, you know um, there really aren't the exits are not easy to get to. Um, and there's a bar in the back and it's a very festive kind of atmosphere. Um, I mean, you know, even when I was there, everyone was, was very, was singing along and, and very, you know, clapping a lot. And uh, the music, you know, was very festive in a sense, uh, very, you know, exciting. And, and, um, and, but so but I, when I was sitting there, I was thinking to myself now, where would I hide? If terrorists came in the door right now, what would I do? And actually, that was uh, uh, there was a plastic bag that had been left. Um, near where I was sitting and so that really wasn't just an exercise in uh, you know a theoretical exercise I was thinking what's in this plastic bag and why isn't anybody doing anything about it and the security was really very um, well it was good and bad on the one hand um, on the internet they asked for a lot of questions asked you a lot of questions if you wanted to get tickets um, sent to you by mail and, uh, of course, I tried too close to the date, so um, I couldn't get the tickets by by mail. I mean, and so I, I couldn't get tickets by the internet. And when I came to the um, Badaclan, it, it was already sold out. It had been sold out. So anyhow, um, there really were, there was an exit on, the, I was in the orchestra on the side, and... Um, There was an exit in the front on the other side that seemed to go behind the stage. And there was an exit or there was a door anyway on the balcony upstairs, there's a small balcony and uh, which goes down to the stage, presumably. And, um, you know, if it would have been tempting to like lay down, now there were nearly a hundred people who were killed in 2015 and, uh, and, you know, more injured. And it is it 's unbelievable that more that not everybody was killed because it was just such close quarters that they didn 't even have to aim so um, I took pictures of it um, and I also took video and i 'll be posting these things on my social media, which uh, like Twitter for example, is at dr carol m d at dr c-a-r-o-l-e m-d i haven't had a chance to uh i'm going to be putting them up any day now um and uh but it was wonderful you know it was a wonderful spirit in fact i was told that the first time that they reopened the bodic lawn there were so many people that came Because you know to show support, and I I have to tell you, yes, was I a little scared looking at that plastic bag on the side? Sure, Um, did I figure out where to run? Also, the bathroom—you may have heard when this happened in in Paris—that some people ran and hid in the bathroom. Well, there was a bathroom, and it was kind of in the back near my side, Um, and you know that would have been one place to think of going, but but if the terrorists came there, which they did, you know, you were, you, again, you were fish shooting fish in a barrel. So it was, it was terrible. And the terrorists really targeted that place for symbolic reasons, but also just because it would be so easy for them to kill so many people. This is how sick the terrorists are and the spirit. It was wonderful. Not the, you know, the, the, I felt like I was supporting Paris, supporting France um, by actually being someone who, sh- who proved to myself, if not to anybody else, that I was going to go there and pay for a ticket <laughs> and, um, and, and show that the terrorists aren't going to win. But when we come back, we'll talk more about some of the other things that I did in Paris and where, what the situation is in terms of terrorism uh, in Paris today.
0: You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll.
1: Welcome back to the terrorist therapist show where I'm talking about being an American in Paris, just back from the front lines of the war on terror in Paris. And I don't mean that literally in terms of their actual, well, well, at least while I was there, there was no literal attack, you know, violence uh, that I know of. Although I must say that one of the nights um, there were, it was very strange. I had gotten off the bateau mouche the Bateau mouche um, those are boats that go up and down the Seine in Paris. And um, you can have dinner on the boat, which I did, wonderful dinner, and um, uh, see all the sights, but from the Seine, which is one of my favorite things to do in Paris. Anyway, (laughs) leaving the boat, and um, walking up to the street, um, there was a caravan of about seven police trucks and they were stopped there on, you know, parked there on the side of the street with their lights flashing um, and not moving for, I don't know, at at least 10 minutes or so. And then all of a sudden they all took off. Now, I don't know what that was about. I don't know whether there was some threat somewhere um, there, certainly there was nothing that I heard of while I was there, but I, I'm just saying, just saying, um, that that was one of the signs of there you know, of things not being like it was when I lived there, uh, for three years, a while back. Um, also that, you know, in Europe, uh, at least in Paris and Paris and Belgium and, and England, um, the The sirens on the ambulances and police cars and fire trucks are different than what we have in the U.S. They, it's a kind of a, it's a da 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 da. <laughs> Sorry about that, but I just wanted to give you give you the feeling of it. Yes, it is very kind of it gets you. It really gets to you in the pit of your stomach, in your your heart stops beating. And I was thinking about how. Um, I mean, that used to happen even when I was living there, that it's just a very, it's just a very chilling kind of sound. But now it occurred to me how um, people living in these cities where there have been terror attacks, um, must, this must trigger their PTSD because, because, of course, that reminds them of these uh, things sounding these first responders sounding during the actual attacks. And remember, these are you know, relatively small places where, well, let's put it this way, intense, uh, where people live very close to each other in these cities, of course. And so, um, so a lot of people are hearing these sirens at once. So let me tell you what else I did um, in regards to, to terrorism. Well, first of all, I spent time donating my book to various places. Uh, I donated it to the Ecole des Parents et des Educateurs. That's the a school that teaches parents and educators um, how to be good parents and teachers. And um, they they actually said that they and I I also sat in on one of their um, small groups for parents who were having crises. And, you know, basically it's very similar. They didn't talk about terrorism. And, um, you know, they talked about things that if you had a small group like this for for parents in the U.S. about burnout and stress and all that, it was pretty similar. Um, Now they told, the school told me that they haven't really been doing anything to teach about terrorism to their um, parents and teachers. It's kind of like in America, where everybody is just sort of hoping that it will all go away if we don't talk about it. I mean, this is the thing that I am trying to fix with my book by giving people, grown-ups, a tool uh, to help kids and to help themselves build resilience and to talk about it like it's not a dirty subject, a dirty word. It is, you know, terrorism is like a dirty word uh, here and in Europe. And that is not going to help anybody build resilience or know what to do. Um, And believe me, you know, I I talk to a lot of people who, um, who, Uh, talked about their children. And yes, they are concerned. And yes, the parents wish there was some way that they could talk to them about it. There was was also some interesting concerns um, from parents who came from countries where in, in, in France, well, and in general, these people are labeled terrorists. You know, there is this Islamophobia and um, xenophobia and and they talked about how they had children who were from um, places like Morocco uh, or other places where, you know, there are um, Afghanistan or places where there, there have been, there have been hotbeds of terrorism. And um, they talked about how, but these are people who have been living in France. And they talked about how their children consider themselves. Yes, they they their families, their ancestors came from these other countries, but they consider themselves French. And so uh, the parents were telling me about how uh, it's very hard for these kids because they're very conflicted, you know, because they don't want to be looked at obviously as a terrorist, and they don't want to um, disown. Their their heritage, the fact that they're proud that they come from these countries, uh, they're not terrorists, and it's very very sad and awkward and uncomfortable and difficult and conflictual for them to be in school, for example, and having um, kids see p- pictures in the media about terror attacks, particularly per- terror attacks in Paris. When we're talking about you know these people living in Paris. Um, and then it makes other kids afraid of them or angry at them or wanting to, to, you know, do something to them or not want to be friends with them. And it's a very difficult situation because there are a lot of people who have come from these other countries. Now, I did other things. I actually sold my book in various restaurants that were affected by the terror attacks of 2015. Um, I had a wonderful reception at the cafe de Lawn. I sold some books there. And the idea of selling the books was to donate the money that I received to the victims of terrorism in Paris. And I also went to the restaurant, uh, the bar, Le Carion, which was one of the places that was hit hardest in terms of the terrorists who, who shot up the restaurants and bars. And I had lunch in another one of those restaurants called Le Cambodge, Le Petit Cambodge. It's a Cambodian restaurant. Now, one of the things that I came across, it's really interesting. One of the ways that the Parisians have been, what, what they've been told, and I don't know, we really haven't, this hasn't really come out here very much or certainly not as a an important part of it, um, but they, they seem to have been told that drugs were a big part of why the terrorists attacked or how the terrorists were, you know, that the terrorists were crazy on drugs that night, November 13th, 2015, when the, when the terrorists attacked all these different places in Paris. And, you know, perhaps they were on drugs or some of them were, but that, they planned these attacks for ages, um, and they did a very good job of planning. Even the restaurants, they planned to attack restaurants, and they were very close together. The restaurants and the bars that had people sitting outside. Now, of course, in Paris, there are countless cafes and bars with, where you sit with seats outside. I mean, that's Paris. That's one of the beauties of Paris people watching. And sitting in a cafe, but um, but they they planned these things to, so it's like some of the people that I spoke to wanted to believe that the only reason why the terrorists attacked Paris or attacked these places in Paris was because they were on drugs, that they were crazy, they, that you know, in other words, that it's not because of terrorism, it's not radical Islamists, it's just a bunch of crazy people on drugs. And that's very scary to think that way because, because that's not the truth. Um, that's, you know, terrorism is something that is, that is a very carefully thought out plan and particularly that attack was incredibly well thought out. And it was masterminded by someone actually from Belgium, a terrorist uh, from Molenbeek, you know, the terrorist enclave in, in Belgium near Brussels. Um, I went to the Eiffel tower, this restaurant, the Jules Verne, this fancy restaurant, actually, it's the restaurant that Trump went to. Uh, you may have seen pictures of him eating there with president Macron. And, uh, uh, I, you know, there was, there was the, you know, there was a definite uh, influence. There was definitely something that was different from when I used to live there or went there before actually, even, um, There was, they did check your bags when you came in and there was a medical, a a metal detector uh, on the ground floor before you were allowed to go up in the elevator that went to that restaurant. Uh, There was no security in the hotel that I stayed at, which was near the Eiffel Tower. Um, What else could I tell you? Um, Oh, when I used to live there, there, were, there used to be a lot of immigrants, particularly North Africans, who would be on the street corners and selling wooden uh, statues. And that really wasn't there. And I asked, I asked a taxi driver about that. And he said that, the, that Paris has uh, costs, that when these people came there and then weren't able to support themselves with you know selling their statues on the street corners, they, a lot of them went back to where they came from And in fact, France paid uh, these people or offered to pay these people and a lot of them took them up on it to go back to the countries that they came from. So I didn't actually see any of of this, which, which was a staple when I was there before. One thing that's that's equal, almost equally as dangerous, or or more regularly dangerous than terrorists, is the traffic. The traffic is crazy. It always, you know, even when I was there, it used to it was fairly crazy. But this is really crazy because um, because there are no lanes. You don't have to stay in your lanes. Everybody just moves into whatever lanes they want. And um, there was, every time I took, I I always took taxis just to get to all these different places that I was going to more quickly. And it was like, it was just amazing, a miracle to not have been in an accident. Um, What else can I tell you? So I I guess the bottom line is that um, people in Paris have the same mixture of uh, recognition on the one hand of the fact that there are terrorists, that life is more dangerous these days because of terrorism. But on the other hand, they, just like in America, people are in denial on a different level. They're in denial. And want to tell themselves things like, um, oh, well, like one taxi driver told me, well, you know, you just have to accept terrorism as part of life in a city. It's kind of like what the mayor of London says. Oh, well, terrorism is just a fact of life in any big city. Really, folks, let me tell you, (laughs) if we have that attitude, terrorism is not only gonna continue overwhelming and exhausting all of the resources and the culture of Europe, but it is so soon going to be happening to the US as well. Well, I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist, and thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show.